for our youth. Well, this morning I want to talk to you about something that, according to market research, affects at least 65% of us in this room. This specific thing makes us question our abilities, feel like we're faking our accomplishments, and can even make us doubt the call of God on our lives. What am I referring to? Imposter syndrome. Now, the title of my message this morning is, Am I an Imposter? Look at the person next to you and say, am I an imposter? Now look at them again and say, are you an imposter? So let's start out by defining our terms. What am I talking about when I say imposter syndrome? Well, pretty simple. Imposter syndrome is simply the belief that you are fraudulently claiming to be something that you are not, that you are not as good as other people think you are. Now, this definition was given by Dr. Sandy Mann, who wrote the book, Why Do I Feel Like an Imposter, which I would highly recommend. But let's look at this definition. How many of you in this room have ever felt like a fraud? Maybe you felt like a fraud as a parent, right, where you, people compliment you on how you raise your kids, but you think, if only they knew what's going on behind closed doors. Amen? Maybe you felt like a fraud at your job where you're going to get found, like you're going to get found out at any moment, like you don't really have what it takes. You don't, you're not deserving even of your position. Maybe you felt like a fraud in your relationship with God, that you're just faking it, and if people only knew how dry your relationship really was beneath the surface, they'd see you as the immature Christian you really are. Have you ever felt this way? You see, the term imposter syndrome was first coined in 1978 by two clinical psychologists who did a study on high-performing women. And they claimed that there are three defining characteristics of imposter syndrome. Number one, the belief that others have an inflated view of your abilities or skills. Number two, the fear that you will be found out at any moment and exposed as a fake. And number three, the persistent attribution of your success to external factors, such as luck or an extraordinary level of hard work. This is imposter syndrome. And I want to share a personal story because if you don't know, I was in education for the first five years of my post-college career. I taught history and Bible. I coached football, basketball track at a small Christian school. But then I got my master's degree and something happened very quickly. I became principal of this Christian school at the age of 25. And maybe you're like me, and you love jumping into opportunities that present themselves. And the principal job opened up, and I interviewed for it, and I was so excited when I was hired. Alex Miller, principal, for the next 40 years. (laughs) That's what I thought. But then something happened very quickly. I began to feel like an imposter. You see, as principal, I was over all the teachers and staff, and there would be times I would have to correct a teacher on something he or she was doing. And I remember my first thought was, every time, I have no idea what I'm doing. These teachers have way more experience than I do. Some of them are old enough to be my parents, and they probably won't respect anything I have to say. I would have to talk to parents who had multiple kids, me with no kids at the time, 
and I would try to have to work out conflicts that arose between parents and teachers, parents and their kids, right? You get the idea. And I felt like I was way out of my league. And I would feel like an imposter. And because of that, I began to think that maybe my entire educational career was really just a fake. I wasn't really a good coach. I wasn't really a good teacher. And I especially was not a good principal. I was faking my success. And if people really knew who Alex Miller was, they wouldn't respect me. Maybe you felt like this before. Maybe you can identify with it in your career like I did. Or maybe for you, it comes in a different way. Maybe it comes when you see other parents raising great kids and you see these crazy off-the-wall kids that you call your own, right? Maybe you have grandkids that are running from the Lord and all you can think of are all the perceived mistakes you made with their parents. Maybe you don't even feel like praying because you feel like an imposter every time you talk to God because you could never measure up like a truly spiritual person would. You see, I believe that this affects us in some way, shape, or fashion, every person in the house. But see, imposter syndrome is not just limited to normal, middle class, maybe you and me. It's In fact, I want you to listen to these quotes from people you probably wouldn't expect that go through this as well. The first quote, when are they going to discover that I am in fact a fraud and take everything away from me? Actor Tom Hanks. I am not a writer. I am fooling myself and other people. Author John Steinbeck who wrote The Grapes of Wrath of Mice and Men. There are still days when I wake up feeling like a fraud, not sure if I should be where I am. Former Chief Operating Officer of Facebook, Sheryl Sandberg. You see, if you haven't figured it out yet, imposter syndrome is the enemy's way of making us feel like we have nothing to offer. And I want to start out by giving you a few signs of imposter syndrome. And maybe you can identify with these signs. And if you're a note taker, you may want to write some of these down and see if they show up in your life. And maybe they already have. First sign of imposter syndrome is perfectionism. Now, this is where that you feel in order to prove your worth, you must do everything right. Now, this can show up in your relationship with God where you try to do everything right, all the right spiritual disciplines so that you can be perfect for him so that he'll accept you, right? This can show up in your family by how you raise your kids. You try to make them do everything right because if they don't, it reflects very poorly on you. This can show up in your career where you fear failure and being found out that you're not really what you say you are. So you obsess over every detail of your work and you never allow yourself the space to make mistakes. Perfectionism is a sign of imposter syndrome. Number two, undermining achievements. Now this shows up where you don't really think that anything you do is special or unique. If you accomplish a project, you raise great kids, you serve selflessly at your church, you don't really think it's unique. And common phrases that you might use if this is you are things like, anyone could have done it. It wasn't that difficult. I just got lucky. You undermine your achievements because you really don't believe that they're anything special. 
Number three, discounting praise. And let me take a wild guess. You've probably seen this exact scenario play out in church. Someone serves somewhere or they put on an event or maybe they preach a great message or play an instrument or sing and what happens? Someone comes to that person and says, wow, what a great job you did. And then the person says, oh no, brother, all glory to God, I'm only a vessel. Have you heard that? And I totally understand where that person is coming from, right? They probably do want to give glory to God and that's actually a great thing. But if you find yourself at a place where you can never accept compliments or praise for anyone, you may have this sign of imposter syndrome. And if when someone compliments you, your first reaction is to immediately try to deflect it, you may have an imposter issue. Number four, self-handicapping. This is seen in cases where you might handicap yourself, so to speak, so you don't do well on something, and therefore, you won't feel like an imposter. For example, if you're in school, you might not study for an exam because then you won't have to worry about an imposter when your score is low because you didn't even try, so you handicap yourself. Or in your family, you may avoid talking to your child or your grandchild about a very important moral issue because you know in your heart, you're like, I don't really have anything profound to say, and if I talk to them, I'd feel like an imposter, so I might just avoid that issue entirely. Or the Lord may open a door for you to pray for or minister to someone, but because you don't believe that you're really good at praying or ministering, you just ignore that opportunity. You handicap yourself so you don't feel like an imposter. Now, those are signs of imposter syndrome. I want to give you five types of imposters, and maybe you can identify with one or more of these types. The first type is the perfectionist. Now, similar to perfectionism, this person sets very high goals and expectations for themselves. But many times their expectations are so high that they're actually impossible to meet. But then, inevitably, when they don't meet them, they feel like an imposter. And this person never focuses on what they've already accomplished, only on what can be improved. So they're never satisfied with themselves or what they've done. See, the perfectionist climbs a never-ending ladder. Perfectionist. Number two, superman or superwoman. You see, a superman or superwoman ties their success not to what they do, like the perfectionist, but to how much they do. They want to accomplish everything, so they juggle so many different things at once. Then when there's no possible way for them to successfully juggle so many things, something inevitably falls through the cracks and they feel like a failure. They set themselves up for failure by trying to be good at everything at once. You see, a superman or superwoman doesn't just climb a never-ending ladder. They try to balance many ladders at once. Superman, superwoman. Number three type, the natural genius. Now, a natural genius, like the name implies, is naturally good at something or maybe many things. And if you identify with this person, you probably breezed through school without putting in much effort, and you probably made great grades, and you're naturally great at things. But for every natural genius, there comes a time in life when work and effort are required. But the problem is, putting in that work and effort creates feelings of being an imposter for the natural genius. Because if it takes work, it must mean I'm not good at it, 
right? See, in contrast to being a perfectionist, where a perfectionist will try again and again and again to try to get something right, a natural genius will be discouraged by trying more than once and not being able to do it perfect the first time. In this scenario, a natural genius will be disheartened and will be reluctant to take on new challenges in case they're not good at them right away. Natural genius. Number four type, the rugged individual. And if this is you, you believe that success means you can do everything on your own. You see, American media has actually fed into this imposter type by showing movies and TV shows where the main character exemplifies the rugged individual stereotype. Right? We've all seen it. The individual that comes in single-handedly saves the day, changes the world with no sleep, and takes down all the bad guys by himself or herself. Right? Rugged individuals feel like they need to do everything on their own, and they will actually dismiss any success if it comes with teamwork. They don't want help from anyone because true success requires individual achievement. You see, many times rugged individuals won't even ask for help because then it would uncover a perceived weakness in themselves. That's the rugged individual. And the last one, the expert. If you identify as an expert imposter, you're probably known by many as an expert in your field. But the problem is you don't really feel like an expert because there's so much more for you to learn to truly become an expert in your field in your own mind. For example, maybe you've gotten a lot of compliments on how to raise your family, and people may even come to you for advice, but inwardly, you know all the mistakes you made, and you know everything that you don't know about raising kids, so you feel even like an imposter when you give advice. Maybe you're in a job where people come to you for expert advice, but because you've set the bar so high and you compare yourself to other experts, you feel like you don't really have what it takes. You see, expert imposters make the mistake of comparing themselves to other experts in their field, and there's, excuse me, always someone who knows more or is doing more. That's just life. Experts make the mistake C.S. Lewis talked about when he said, comparison is the thief of joy. So, those are four signs of imposter syndrome and five types of imposters, but it brings us to the question, how do we overcome imposter syndrome? You see, you've probably identified, I assume, with some part of this this morning, but how do you overcome these feelings of fraudulence, of being a fake? And I want to look at a story in the Bible of a man that I have always identified with. In fact, this man struggled with imposter syndrome more than any other person I've read about in the scriptures. He thought way lower of himself than God did, but God delivered him of this imposter syndrome and used him to take an entire nation to God's promises. Amen. Who am I talking about? My man, Gideon. And when Gideon is first mentioned in Scripture, the nation of Israel is at a very low place. Amen. In fact, the oppressors, the Midianites, have come in and impressed Israel to the point where Israel is straining under the weight of their oppressors. Let's pick it up in Judges chapter 6, verses 3 through 6. It says, so it was, whenever Israel had sown, Midianites would come up. Also Amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them. Then they would encamp against them and destroy the produce of the earth as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance for Israel. 
neither sheep nor ox nor donkey. For they would come up with their livestock and their tents, coming in as numerous as locusts. Both they and their camels were without number, and they would enter the land to destroy it. So Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites, and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. You see, Israel is impoverished, scared, hurting, and in comes this man, Gideon. Now, if this is a movie made in America, we would see a brave, courageous man come in. Someone with lots of courage, self-sufficiency, lots of testosterone. <laughs> Think like Mel Gibson in Braveheart or Russell Crowe in Gladiator, two of my favorite movies. Think someone like that, someone that would cry out for freedom and would be ready to take down the prevailing powers that be. But that's not what we see. Instead, we have a man who doesn't think anything of himself. Let me show you what I mean. Same chapter, Judges 6, verses 12 through 16. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him, speaking of Gideon, and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Now, if the angel of the Lord appeared to you and me, we'd believe what the angel of the Lord said, right? Right? Of course we would. Not so fast. We'd probably have the same response Gideon does when he says this. Gideon said to him, Oh, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles, which our fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. You see, imposter syndrome always starts with seeing the natural. Imposter syndrome ignores the supernatural because it always focuses on self. And many times if we struggle with this, we focus on what we can see. Our situation, our finances, our abilities, and we ignore what God is actually speaking over us and wants to do through us. Amen? But the Lord ignores Gideon's focus on the natural and actually calls him higher. Look at this. Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? Now the Lord speaks to Gideon at a higher place. First he calls Gideon a man of valor. Then he calls him mighty. Then he says, I've sent you. After all this, surely Gideon will say, yes, sir, ready for battle. No. How does Gideon respond? Honestly, exactly like I would. So he said to him, Oh, my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. <laughs> Notice what Gideon is focusing on in this moment. Himself. My clan is the weakest. I am the least. How can I save Israel? But the Lord says something to him. Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. I want you to take notice of that phrase. Surely I will be with you. Because here's the key. You see, conquering imposter syndrome doesn't require self-sufficiency. It requires God's sufficiency. And again, the main reason we feel this way is because we focus on self. Every imposter statement we usually make is an I statement. In fact, go back through Judges chapter 6 sometime and look at all the I statements that Gideon makes. How can I save Israel? I am the least. See, if you focus on I, you will remain an imposter. 
And newsflash, there's none good. No, not one. If you focus on yourself, you'll never break from that feeling. 2 Corinthians 3, 4 through 5 says this, And we have such trust through Christ toward God, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God. That's the key right there. God's sufficiency. But see, I'm, I'm not going to bore you with all the details of Gideon's story. Spoiler alert, God uses Gideon to completely change the nation of Israel. 100% turnaround. Gideon becomes the leader of the army. He conquers the Midianites. He saves Israel from the oppressors. He rules Israel as their judge for 40 years. But what was Gideon's key? In Judges 8, it becomes pretty clear. You see, Gideon had just finished conquering the Midianites, and the men of Israel say something to him. It says, Then the men of Israel said to Gideon, Rule over us both you and your son and your grandson also, for you have delivered us from the hand of Midian. You see, the people wanted to praise who? Gideon. They said it was his self-sufficiency. It was all about Gideon and their eyes. But what is Gideon's response? I love this so much. But Gideon said to them, I will not rule over you, nor shall my son rule over you. The Lord shall rule over you. Because remember, conquering imposter syndrome doesn't require self-sufficiency. It requires God's sufficiency. Amen. You see, Gideon had a change in mindset. He went from believing what he thought about himself to saying, okay, God, I'm trusting in you. What do you say about me? He went from saying, I'm the weakest and the least, to I am a mighty man of valor who's called to lead this nation. But it was only because of what God said. Now, when I was in seventh grade, I was in the same grade as my older brother, Will. And if you don't know, I skipped a grade. My mom had to skip kindergarten because she thought it'd be easier for us to be together in teaching, right? Makes sense. So I was in the same grade as my older brother who was 15 months older than me. I was younger than everyone else in my class. And because of that, I was smaller. My brother, he's, if you see him today, he's over 200 pounds. He's all muscle, hardly any body fat. He's pretty much a bodybuilder. And um, here I am, seventh grade. My brother's already pretty big, pretty tall. And so they gave us nicknames. My brother was Big Miller, and I, in contrast, Little Miller. Now, you can imagine, it's funny now, but you can imagine to a seventh grade mindset how that feels. It hurts. And then it becomes something that everyone started saying, the coaches, friends, and I would always brush it off, no big deal. But I always felt like that's who I was, Little Miller. I played sports, I lifted weights, but no matter what I did, I always felt I'm Little Miller. And this is why I've always identified with the story of Gideon. Because in my mind, that's who I was. And I remember even that mindset carrying over when I had graduated high school. It was my first year of college. I met with a spiritual mentor. He knew me. He didn't know my brother. And he said, Alex, tell me a little about yourself and, and your family. And I said, well, this is literally what I said, word for word. I said, you know the story in the Bible about the, the five talents, the, the two talents, the one, whatever, one talent. I said, you know, my brother... He has the five talents. I said, I, I think I have the one talent. But I'm, I'm okay with that. I'm, I'm going to make the most of it. 
But that's really what I felt about myself. And maybe you can identify with that similar mindset where you don't really feel like you have much to offer. And you feel like a little miller. Right? You see, I could give you techniques to overcome this imposter syndrome. And there's techniques in the world. There's things like a slow process of self-talk, of new habit forming, of even meditation. There's all these things that you can try to do to overcome feeling like an imposter. But I found there's really only one way. And when I tell you, it's going to be so simple, yet it's so hard to do at times. And you're going to agree with me when I tell you, but it's going to be difficult sometimes to do it. You see, the ultimate way to defeat imposter syndrome is to believe what God says about you. Simple. Believe what God says about you. And if Jacqueline, if you could come up. You see, what God speaks over us is truth, and his truth outweighs our feelings about ourselves, and it even outweighs the facts of our situation. Because maybe as I've been speaking, some of you say, well, sure, I feel that way, but there's a reason I feel that way. Because I had different decisions I could have made, and I had different ways I could have raised my kids, and I had different things I could have done. What God says about you outweighs the facts about your situation. You see, there's two things to this. Number one, you have to first of all know what God says about you. I can't just tell you to believe something you don't even know what it is. And many of us this morning need a fresh encounter with the God who speaks over us. And he wants to speak personally to you this morning. He wants to speak personally to you. He wants to wash away all the feelings of inadequacy, of shame, of fraudulence, even mistakes you've made in the past that you haven't let go of. He wants to wash that away this morning. But see, number two, and this is sometimes the hardest thing to do, once you know what God says about you, you have to actually believe it. It's not enough just to know. You can, we can read the same Bible and see all the great things that God says. We can go to the Lord in prayer and hear things. We can get prophesied over, but until we believe it, it's useless. It's worthless. And this morning, I want to create a space for a good old-fashioned altar call. And you don't have to physically come to this altar, although I welcome you to. But wherever you're at, I want you to ask the Holy Spirit two simple questions. What are you saying over me? And what lies have I believed? Because, you see, a minister can't pray over you and deliver you of imposter syndrome. You can try as hard as you can to work at it, but I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit and believing what he says is the only thing that can deliver you of this. You see, the Holy Spirit is going to speak to each of us this morning. I believe we're going to leave this place even different than we came in because we're going to know what God says about us and we're going to believe it. So I want you right now, I want to make the way for an altar call. I want you right now to begin to ask the Holy Spirit these questions even as we begin to pray. Let's do that right now.